Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. I hope that you are getting ready for a good week of family, food, and football. Those are the three F's, right? That's what goes on with Thanksgiving. It's coming. It's here. Uh, And I'm so glad that you're with us this Sunday morning. Today we are stepping into part two of a series called Mosaic. We started this series last week, and the idea is sort of based on this image on the screen of, of, in the art world, things known as mosaics, typically built out of tile or glass, but it's a bunch of little pieces that are put together in, in a specific, intentional way, and when you zoom out from that, you don't see the individual little bitty broken pieces, you see something absolutely beautiful. And the truth is, is that all of us have lived broken lives. All of us have encountered rough and hard and difficult and terrible things. All of us have have regrets. All of us have walked down chasing after things that we shouldn't have been chasing after. And God, in his kindness, has given his son Jesus so that by faith in him, we could be made new. And God is making something beautiful out of our broken lives. Here, even in this thing called a church, we're three months old, maybe three and a half months old now, but we're three months old as a church, and God is building something out of our broken lives. We don't have all of our stuff together. We don't want to pretend and play at church like, oh, our lives are perfect, our kids are perfect, our marriage is perfect. We are all still following Jesus the best way we know how, and if you're a little rough around the edges, if you're very aware of your broken parts, you are welcome here, because listen, God can make something beautiful out of the broken parts of your life. Does that sound like good news to anybody? That's the hope we have, and that's why we are a people of hope. Last Sunday, we started this series looking um, at the story of the Good Samaritan. And on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, this man was making his way and he was attacked and beaten and stripped and robbed and left for dead. All of those things happened. And they're laying on the ground. A couple of people passed him by. They saw that he needed attention. They saw that he was either dead or dying, but nobody cared to stop and show him mercy. There was a priest, there was a Levite, and they just crossed by on the other side thinking, that looks messy, that looks like it's gonna take time, I've got places to be. And they did not stop to show mercy, but there was one, a Samaritan, who stopped and helped this man, and he put him up on his own animal and carried him to an inn and then took care of his expenses for a little while. And what we heard last week in that part of the scripture is, is that if you've been beaten up and robbed and left for dead in life, God can restore you. God will have mercy on you. We also heard in that message, are you and I the kind of people who will stop? Are you and I the kind of people who when we see someone in need that we'll stop and interrupt our day and interrupt our schedule and love on them because you and I are like Jesus when we do that. When we love people and care for them and show them mercy. So that was last week. This week, we're picking up with another part of the scripture and we're jumping in with a very, very familiar story. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. This is the story commonly referred to as uh, the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. 
But we're actually going to start in the very first couple of verses of Luke 15. It's going to come up on your screen if you didn't get a chance to bring a copy of the scriptures today or have that on your phone. Um, Luke chapter 15, this sets it all up because Jesus is actually going to tell a few stories to illustrate his point. It says here in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Can you get that picture in your mind? All these people are hanging around. All of these people who are a little rough around the edges. All these people who may not know church talk. All these people who didn't get the memo about how they were supposed to dress when they came in the presence of a teacher. All these people who were just raw and just themselves. And then you have the Pharisee. You have the religious person. And by the way, religion is not a great word. Religion talks about trying to do certain things to earn God's approval. And you and I are not people of religion. We are people of the cross. And our hope for a relationship with God is not based on our doing things. It's what Jesus accomplished on the cross in his resurrection. But here you've got the Pharisee muttering. Can't you just see him in the corner just fuming? All these people, who let all these people in here? What are they doing here? Look at how they're dressed. Oh my, don't look at how they're dressed. Turn, turn your eyes. Can you believe what they're doing? Did you hear the, the F-bomb that somebody just dropped right over there? Did you hear that? this Jesus character? He, I, I can't believe he's even hanging out with these people. They were just muttering. They were unhappy. They were absolutely empty of grace. They had no concept of their own need for a savior. No concept of their own past. And one of the things that I hope that we do as a new church, a developing church, a growing church, I hope that we never lose sight of the fact that you and I were once lost, but we've been found. And we're no better than the other people who are still lost. We've just found the way home. So in that moment, I love that Jesus starts telling these stories because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, and this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Boy, I hope that that's true of us at People of Oak Church. I hope that people who don't have all their stuff together, people who don't know what to say or don't know that there are you know, certain you know, ways to do I hope that they feel welcome to come in our doors. And I hope that there's never a day when there's anybody in our growing little church just standing in the corner muttering about look at all those spiritually dead people acting like spiritually dead people. We want to have wide open doors for the lost to be found because we were once lost. So Jesus tells these stories and the first story he tells is the parable of the lost sheep and we're going to breeze through that one. And then he tells the story of the lost coin. And then he tells one more story of the lost son. And that's what we're going to focus in on this morning. Jumping in verse 11 with the parable of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. And Jesus continues. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Time out. In these days, birthright was a big deal. 
The firstborn son got the birthright from the father, and that included a financial um, bet, that included a, a blessing and, and kind of handing on the family name and all of those kind of things. And then the nextborn children, they got um, stair-stepping amounts uh, along the way of the birthright. And this son, this younger son, came to his father and he said, look, I, I'm ready to get out of here. <laughs> I'm ready to go see the world. I'm ready to go experience some stuff. Maybe you've ever heard this thought or had this thought. I'm tired of living under your roof and your rules. Yikes, that looks familiar. (laughs) Give me what's owed me. Ooh, that's awful. (laughs) Give me my share. Oh, that's terrible. Even more so, give me my share so I can go spend it on me. He wasn't looking to open an orphanage. (laughs) He went into his father. Can you imagine the guts it took to walk up to his father and say, I'm out and I want what's mine. I'm not only going to leave you, but I kind of want to rob you on my way out the door. I don't want you, I want your stuff. I don't want who you are, I want the way you could bless my life. So bring that on, I'm out. This younger son asked him, and look, the father's response is, um, okay, if that's what you want to do, I'm going to let you do it. I wonder if some of us have the story in our lives that we have found ourselves in dark places, and God let us do exactly what we wanted to do. We found out how dark it could be. The father divides it. He gives it. And not long after that, it says, The younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Let's unpack a few of those words for a moment. The idea of squandering, that's one of those wonderful old world terms. That's one of those good SAT terms. That that squandering is the idea of wasting. Just didn't have a value for it, didn't think about it, just threw it around, just wasted all of his wealth. He didn't think about how quickly it was, it was just sifting through his hands. He didn't think about how quickly it was running out. He just wasted it all. He had so much potential. He could have invested it. He could have lived on it for a long time, but he just squandered it. Some of us are familiar with squandering opportunities, with squandering health, with squandering resources, with squandering relationships. So many of us are familiar with squandering on so many different levels. And here it says, this young man, (laughs) I am free to do whatever I want to do. And I'm going off to the distant country. And it says, he squandered it on wild living. Let's talk about that word for a moment. The idea of wild living is connected to another good biblical old world term called debauchery. Maybe you've heard that word before, debauchery. And it just means living off the leash. Living in wildness, no restraints, no breaks, just going out as fast as you can go and not caring about the consequences. And that's where he was. You can almost assume in the mind of this younger brother that he wanted to taste it all, he wanted to see it all, he wanted to experience it all, he wanted to to just dive into every single pleasure he could find. He squandered it all in wild living It goes on to say, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be 
in need. When you put all this together, you begin to understand that when he spent it all in wild living, it doesn't mean that he sat alone at a table in a restaurant and had 12 entrees and 17 desserts all by himself. It probably means that there was a group of people around him helping him spend it all. There was a bunch of people saying, let's order three more bottles, let's go. There were some people going, hey man, let's go to the brothel. Let's go there next. Let's spend, oh, you got the cash? Let's go. I want to be your friend. I want to be in your entourage. I want to hang with you. And they were leading him toward ruin. They were helping him not only drain his money, but drain all of his godly values that his father had put into his life. They were leading him to being broke in his pocket and in his heart. And I just want to take a second here for a moment, and I want to ask the question, especially to our young people here this morning, are there people in your circle, are there people in your life right now who are absolutely just flat out, let's just call it like it is, they are just not good for you. They are leading you to ruin. They are egging you on to look at things and do things and say things and post things that are absolutely draining you of the godly values that your family and your church and your God has put into you. Are there people in your circle who are like, yeah, I'll be with you. You're easily to follow how we're going. Are there people in your circle that you just flat out need to separate from? Because if you don't, you are headed toward ruin with a group of people to help you. Think about that, if that's your world. This guy found himself absolutely broke and in the middle of a famine. There's no food. There's no food anywhere. Everybody is struggling. Jobs are not easy to come by. And the only thing he could find, let's see what it says here. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out as a citizen of um, out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He began to be in need. How quickly, just a few minutes ago, it was wild living. How quickly it moved from all your cash is gone and now you're in need. Now you're in panic. Now you're not thinking, I can't eat another bite because I'm so full. Now you're thinking, I can't hardly think straight because I'm so empty. And the only thing he could find, (laughs) he's not the guy, the life of the party anymore. He's not the guy, hey, drinks are on me. He's not the guy who's just enjoying it all and living it up. He's the guy who's like, I'll do anything. I just need some food. I'll do it. I just need work. What do you need? And suddenly he found himself doing something he never thought he would do before. He now found himself being content to feed some pigs as his way of life. And he made his home among the farm animals. And that is where he was. Young people, older people, do not misunderstand that your desires and cravings, the cravings of your flesh, they will lead you to places that you never thought you would end up. And they will keep you there longer than you ever planned to stay. And they will cost you way more than you ever thought it would cost. In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about that all of us used to live among the people who indulged their flesh. We used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. 
And now this guy is reaping what he has sown. He's feeding the pigs. Verse 14, verse 16, excuse me. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Friends, when you start to think that the pig food looks good, you're in a bad place. FYI. He longed to fill his stomach with what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Can you just consider the desperation? And maybe you don't have to. Maybe as I'm telling this story, as Jesus told this story, that this story out of the mouth of Jesus, maybe you're going, man, this is my story. I had it so good. I was loved and cared for and I just got arrogant and full of myself and I just wanted me and I just wanted stuff for me and I just wanted to go live it up and I spent it all and squandered it all and wasted and then I was just left empty. And maybe some of you, that's your story with God. Now you grew up knowing very well that God loved you. And that God was eager to be a good shepherd in your life, to lead you to green pastures and still waters. Maybe you grew up with the idea of understanding that God was full of love and mercy and grace and kindness, and that he's a good father. He's a perfect father, and all of his commands are good. And so if God says, don't go down that road, it's not because he's cruel or restricting. It's because he's loving and kind, and he wants to help us avoid heartache and regret and disaster. Maybe you grew up knowing all those things and you just basically turned your back on God and gave him the finger and just said, God, forget you. I'm doing my own thing. I want what I want. I, I see very clearly what you want for my life, but I want these other things. I want that. And maybe you're well aware that you've gotten what you asked for. You've reaped now what you've sown. And maybe you know an emptiness in here that, that's deep and dark. Well, the good news is, is there's more to the story. And your life's not over. Your story's not over yet. It is not too late to go home. Verse 17 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, and when he came to his senses. Can you imagine that moment? It says nobody gave him anything. So maybe at some point he's in there rooting around with the pigs. Trying to be quick enough to grab one of the things they're eating before they eat it up. Can you imagine like he's all muddy, gross. Thinking like I got to work. to How can I outsmart these pigs? And he's going what in the world has happened? How did I, oh my gosh, look where I am. Look what this has gotten me. Uh, how in the world? When he came to his senses. That's one of the best things you can pray for somebody who's wandering from God. Oh Lord, be merciful and bring them to their senses. Help them to wake up in their foolishness and go, what am I doing here? When he came to his senses, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, he begins a speech. He's going to prepare a speech and you can just picture him all the way back home. He's rehearsing the speech. Should I start with this or should I start with that? Should I drop to my knees? Should I, should I go and, and, and make you know, all sorts of offerings to him and gifts to him? Should I try to prove my, my sorrow to him? He says, I, I will go to my father. I'll set out and go back and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So I don't want to be your son anymore. So just make me like one of your hired servants. I have ruined it. I know, I know, I know. You don't even have to tell me. I have blown it. I'm so aware of my own failure. I'm so embarrassed. I feel so guilty. I have so much shame. And God, I'm not even asking to be your son anymore. Just make me a servant because I know your servants have buckets of food left over and I'm squandering around looking for what the pigs might leave behind. He goes to his, through this speech in his mind and he says, I'm going to tell him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father and how beautiful is this? So dramatic. I hope you will picture this in your mind. I hope you get a picture of this. I hope you get a picture of a father who loves his child even though they have wandered off, even though they've asked for the money and left. Even, I hope that you have this picture of a father who every afternoon as the sun begins to dip on the horizon toward evening looks out to say, no, not today. He's waiting and watching and longing for his son that he loves to come home. And you who have wandered from God, and you who have just turned your back on God and spent it all and spent your life on yourself, your father in heaven absolutely loves you and he is eagerly waiting for you to come to your senses and come back home. And you may be preparing a speech for you, but he does not have a scolding speech to give to you. Let's look and see what happens as Jesus paints this picture of the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. How do you think the son was looking and smelling about now? The father didn't care. The son didn't have to clean up in order to be accepted. And I have good news for you who have wandered from God and spent your life in wild living. You don't have to get cleaned up to come to God. Come to God just as you are. He is ready to throw his arms around you today. Why would God do that? Because he loves you. He made you. You're his child. The father threw his arms around 
his son and he kissed him. And the son told him, here he goes the speech. Look at it in the scripture. Uh, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, that means the father interrupted him because he didn't even get to the, hey, I don't want to be a son anymore. I want to be a servant. He didn't even get all the way through that. This, this father just goes, stop, stop right there. And he begins to call out to the servants. Hey, come on. Hey, you come over there. Hey, go get everybody. Come this way. And look what he says. He says, he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. I cannot think of a more powerful picture for you and for me to see the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God. That's what compassion is. The father saw him a long way off and was filled with compassion for him. He had a, he had a tender mercy toward him. What did the son probably deserve? Uh, don't even think coming back here. Or you're here now? Oh, great, but you owe me. That's not our God. Hallelujah, that's not our God. Yeah, compassion and mercy. And they threw a party. And people of hope, listen, I want us to be a people of parties. I want us to welcome sinners and I want us to welcome people who are works in progress. I want us to, to welcome people who've been beaten up and robbed and abandoned in life. I want us to welcome people who've turned their back on God and have squandered so much in their lives. I want us to welcome those who are lost because you and I were once lost and I want us to have lots of parties as they come home and enjoy the embrace of their father who loves them. That's a good way to spend a life. What do you think? Arranging for parties. Let's wrap up that story. They begin to celebrate. celebrate. And then it says in verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants, and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf, and he's come back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now Jesus is comparing the older brother with the Pharisees who were muttering. Look at those people. Why do they get to come in? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And you have never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatty calf for him. My son, the father said. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
we're building a church. And let it be said of us that we never get to a place where we forget our own forgiveness. And let it be said of us that we are always welcoming to anybody wherever they are in their journey with God. And let it be said of us that we have no bitterness. I'm trying to do all the right things. I'm trying to control my cravings. I'm trying to be honest and a good guy and I'm trying to, to live right and I've never cheated or stolen or done any of these things and I've been good and now we're welcoming this person in who's just done all sorts of terrible things and why do they get to come in and I've been trying to be a good person all my, but what have I gotten? What do you say? Let's never go there. Let's never squint our eyes at someone in the corner at how they're dressed when they came to hear about the grace of Jesus. What do you say? We never get to a point where we question if someone deserves to be here because none of us deserve to be here. This morning, I want to finish with three quick things. Number one, I hope that you hear in the story of Jesus that compassion and grace are radical. They're radical. They're mind-boggling. They're upside down in what is deserved. Compassion and grace are radical. There are no disqualifications. Here's the phrase, the worst are welcome. That's radical grace, hello? The worst are welcome. Let's be that church. You mean, you mean the people who cheat on their taxes, they're welcome? Yep. You mean the person who's... You mean the person who's abused a child? Yep. You mean a person who's been to jail? Yep. What about those people who get in the 10 items or less line at the grocery store and they clearly have 25 items? What about them? Because we pray against them hard. <laughs> the worst are welcome. That's got to be our motto. Because we're not better. We're just cleaned up and new and forgiven in Jesus. Everyone has a past. Grace and compassion are radical. It enables us to be brought from death to life. Let's also lock into this truth. Sin doesn't just makes us bad. It makes us spiritually dead. And we don't need to change our behavior, we need a resurrection. We don't need to become good boys and good girls. We don't need to adopt religious lists or these are the things to do, these are the things to avoid. We need to become people who come to God and just fling ourselves on his mercy and say, I need you to make me new. And that's the good news of grace. We don't deserve it, but God, because of his Great love, because he is rich in mercy, he has made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. 
Grace is radical. Compassion is radical. In Christ, you and I are clean and new and forgiven. Can can anybody agree with that this morning? In Christ, you and I are new and clean and forgiven. Radical grace. So here's what that means. If you are in Christ this morning, you're the only one thinking about the shame of your former life. In Christ, you are clean and forgiven totally and new. So lay down the false guilt of the person you used to be because Jesus Christ died and paid it in full. You're the only one thinking about the shame of your former life. Lay it down. Grace is radical. Jesus did not die simply to give you access to heaven. heaven. He died also to let you be free. And you're free. Not because of your work, but because of his. Second thing I want you to hear this morning, not only that compassion and grace are radical, but this is the deal. The Pharisees muttered, but we want to be people who cheer people who come home. The Pharisees muttered, but we want to be people who cheer people when they come home to Jesus. We're building the kind of church that makes it easier for prodigals to come home. We're not just going to wait for them to come to us. We're going to go to those who've been wrecked with life. Even people who've wrecked their own lives, we're going to go to them and we're going to offer them hope in the name of Jesus. We're not going to say, look, a church isn't perfect. The church won't fix it. Jesus can change it. Jesus can make you new. Jesus can forgive anything that you've done. Anything. We're a people of hope. And we want to add to the mosaic And we want to invite more broken people to come and have their life welded welded together with our lives in Christ and make something beautiful to the glory of God. We want to go to them and find those who've wrecked their lives. I love that the father in the story that Jesus told, when the son came home, in order to demonstrate some love and acceptance to the son, he said, go and get a robe for him. Go and get some sandals for his weary feet. Go and get a ring and put it on his hand. And you may think, well, as we welcome people in and as we invite them to come in and welcome them home to Jesus, how in the world do we do it? We're not going to give out rings and robes. That's not a new ministry we're starting here at POH. We're not going to have a sandals ministry, so cross that off. Some of you already made a note like, oh, we're going to have POH sandals. It's going to be great. Every new person who comes in. No, we're not. How do we... How do we communicate acceptance and welcome to them? We'll we'll give them some coffee. That's welcoming. That's good. We'll do that. But don't underestimate a couple of things. One of the things of people who've turned their back on God and are coming home to him, one of the things that we do is that we are incredibly welcoming. I hear that all the time. People tell me, new people who come in, they are such a friendly group of people. That's awesome because what we want is to make it easier for a prodigal to return. 
you would be surprised to know the people who sit in their car and debate about whether or not to come in. Because they're sure they're going to be judged. They're sure they're going to be eyeballed from head to toe. They're sure they're going to be rejected. They're sitting in their car going, I'm not going. I know what church is like. I'm not going in. But when they come in and we are welcoming and we give them coffee. But also don't underestimate something that you may not have connected these dots. We have intentionally adopted a casual dress around here. We're come as you are, come comfortably here. In the summer, wear your shorts, by all means. We want to make it easier for people to come in and never have the thought, oh, I don't know if I have nice enough clothes to go to church. Put that down. That's somebody who's worried about the Pharisees muttering, and we're not going to be mutterers, are we? Little things like that make it easier for prodigals to come home. Often in the story, the church is the older brother. Whoa. And I want us to be a church who lines the sides of the road home with big old signs cheering people on. Come on in. We were once on that road. And let's party. Last thing I want you to hear this morning coming out of the story is just really deeply personal for your own life with God. If sin has cost you, if sin has brought emptiness, if sin has brought ruin to your life, come to your senses today and return to the God who made you. You've not gone too far. You've not lost your chances. You've not run out of opportunities to come home to God. If you have never followed Jesus and believed in him, do that today. He can forgive every single one of your sins. He will forgive every single one of your sins, no matter what they are. He will make you new. He will give you the opportunity, the ability. He will make you a child of his he will give you the promise of eternal life in heaven. And he will set you free from this grip of sin on your life that got you off in the ditch to begin with. And he will set you free from the shame of your past. Well, what's that, what does that mean? How do I do that? How do I come home? How do I come home and take advantage of that grace? Well, we have this cross here in the room for a reason because we always want to remember the cross. We are people of the cross. That's, this is what defines us. Because when you and I never deserved it, God in love sent his son Jesus and he died on the cross for a purpose. He wasn't a victim. Not ever, not ever a moment was Jesus a victim. He was actually on a mission. And this is a, a Roman method of execution. And God took that and he flipped it and he turned it into an altar of sacrifice. And Jesus became the sacrificial lamb to pay for sins. And Jesus died on this cross. And when he did, God said, all of us deserve the punishment for our sin, but I'm gonna pour out all of my judgment on Jesus for that sin. All of my wrath is gonna be poured out on Jesus and not on you. Oh my goodness. Jesus became our sacrifice and he paid for the guilt of your sin and he died.
And three days later, God flexed his arm of might and raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is alive. He's conquered death and sin forever. And now God comes to you and to me and he says, if you will believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he really did pay for sin on the cross and that he really is raised to life and if you'll follow Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life and become his disciple, that you can be forgiven, free, clean, adopted, and new. You don't have to say magic words. You just need to believe in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and believe that he is alive today. Maybe in some simple prayer just between you and God to say, God, I believe that you gave your son Jesus for me and I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I thank you that he died and that he is alive and I wanna be your disciple. I wanna be clean. I wanna be new. I wanna be free and I wanna become your son or daughter. If you'll just say that to God, that will be your faith that leads you to what we call salvation, which is forgiveness. Don't wait for next week. Don't wait for next month. Do it today. Do it this morning. Come home and we will celebrate with you. (laughs) In just a few weeks, we're actually going to have our very first in the history of People of Hope Church, we're going to have our first baptisms. And this is going to be a celebration, a celebration of death to life. The picture of baptism is someone is put under the water and they're raised back up out of the water. And that's the whole picture of salvation. The old person is dead and the new person is raised because they have believed in Jesus. It's a great time to celebrate God and we would love to include you in that moment of celebration and baptism. Come home, come home to God. Because like the father in the story, he only has kindness and compassion for you. His arms are open. Let's pray. With your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, I'd love for you just to just take a deep breath and have a moment with God. For those of you who are Christians, would you just thank God for the forgiveness you've been given? Forgiveness you never deserved. Thank him for giving Jesus in your place. Maybe you just want to tell him, God, I don't ever want to get over my forgiveness. I don't ever want that to be old news. And maybe for some of you, this is the little moment where you're going to just say, God, I want to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus as his disciple. And I want to be forgiven for my sins. I want to come home to you. And then maybe there are others in the room this morning and you you know a prodigal. You know somebody who's off the road, wandered away, living in wildness of some kind or another. Would you speak a prayer for them right now by name that God would bring them to their senses gently? Oh, let it be gently. Let it be so that they never have to find themselves feeding pigs on a farm. Pray for them. Ask God to restore them.
God, we pray for these this morning who are wandering. We were once wanderers. We're still prone to wander. And as we come to the end of this story and teaching this morning, God, I pray that you would um, help us to grow and become built up as a church that has a big, wide open door full of grace and cheering and no muttering. I pray, Lord, that we never get tired of welcoming people to grace. Lord, grow us to become that kind of church. And Lord, this morning, we want to finish today just celebrating you and thanking you for the absolute, outrageous, radical love that you've shown us. So in this moment of worship, Lord, we pray that you would be pleased and receive this song as our love song to you, a song of gratitude and thanksgiving, for we are really, really grateful for Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand up? We're going to sing this song. This is your song to just enjoy with God about the absolute, amazing, reckless love of God.